podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues, three opinions, one Everton podcast. Welcome to episode 48 of the Unholy Trinity Podcast. Where this week I'm delighted to say that we're joined by our resident transfer guru, as we like to call him, also scouting guru. Uh, he's been on the show more than Lee over the last probably few months, and that's that's Andy McGregor. Andy, thanks for joining us once again in lockdown, mate. Thanks for having me on again. I feel very welcome as usual. Well, it's, it's nice, nice to have us all on at the same time. I know Lee got a bit of stick last time, um, but obviously you can't go anywhere at this moment in time. You can't travel anywhere, unfortunately. So he's got no choice but to, to slum it and come back onto, onto the show. Um, but it's nice, nice to have you on. And it's, it's been, it's been obviously quite a few weeks since we all spoke, um, and it's been a couple of weeks since since our last podcast. And a lot has gone on in the world of Everton and the world of football since then. And there's no better place to start than Project Restart, as they've as they've coined it, uh, the Premier League. And we're we're at the point now where teams have initiated um, contact, full contact training. We've seen a few clips from Everton over the last few days showing showing how that's been um, been implemented there at Finch Farm. And with with uh, now we're looking at starting the, the Premier League season on the on the seventeenth of June. And I'd like to bring anyone who wants to come in first of all before I start moaning. What are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Andy, you want to go? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I, well, I'll preface this all because, uh, you know, I'm you know, with working with teams. They, basically, since the day football stopped, it's the plan is always to return. And I think I think fa- what fans have got to realise, and I think the wider public, I think even the governments have always supported this behind the scenes. The Premier League, obviously, have, have tried to manage the PR as well as they can do, it's not been great. Let's be honest; it's it's very hard to in this time when there's a lot of people for you know sadly dying. But I think that the Premier League's looked at Germany. It's obviously I spoke to its own scientists, and there's a lot of you know stuff in the papers. But what what's happened, and I think it's affected a lot of people's thinking, is the there's certain elements in the papers who've got agendas. They put out stories on different sides each time. And I think people seem to cotton onto stories that they agree with, and then they seem to say not like stories, and that's not always the full story. Personally, I think as long as it's safe, and, and you know, as far as I'm aware, it's safe. I can't guarantee that, of course. Then I would say that it's, it's, it is ready to come back in June, but we, we will see. Yeah, mate. I, <clears throat> it's a very strange time, and obviously, it's strange in the fact that it's a pandemic, obviously, but. You know, when you saw, you, you guys probably saw the numbers of the day, it was 324 people died in the UK, didn't they, the other day? So when you compare that to other, other European countries, like I think Spain was single figures, Italy was single figures. Um, I think the nearest to us was Sweden, who've obviously handled it very differently. They were like 80-something. So, you know, there clearly is still people in the UK, um, A, getting coronavirus and B, passing away from it, sadly. Um, but it's one of those, it's, it's like a double-edged sword, you know, Germany have sort of led the way now by getting the Bundesliga going. I must admit, and we mentioned this briefly on the last pod, it, it is very, very surreal. Uh, I don't know whether any of you guys saw Salzburg as well lifting the trophy the other day. Um, I mean, that looked like something out of Pro, Pro Evo about years ago. Um, yeah, it's just it's just very, very strange times. I mean, there's obviously financial implications as well for a lot of clubs, some more than others. Um 
But um, and I know a lot of people. I know you're quite passionate about this, Mike. A lot of people have said, you know, football without the fans is nothing and things like that. But you know, for me, if it's safe to do so, we've we've got to get we've got to get it finished. That's my opinion. I don't know what everyone else thinks. Yeah, I, I mean, coming there, Pete. I, I'll I'll say my piece in, in a second. But I'm, I'm interested to hear obviously your thoughts on on the whole the whole project restart and what what you th- you know should it be brought back now? Is it the right time to do so? I think, like the lads say, first and foremost, it's got to be safe. Um, I know the, when they ran the, was it the second or the third lot of sort of pre-tests uh, the other day, it was the first time they'd had like an all-clear for all players and staffs. Before that, I think the, the previous test had four positive. And although they say that they're not meant to disclose sort of uh, who they are and where they are, it tends to leak out anyway. And we, we all know sort of, um, you know, certain clubs and players that have been affected more than others so I guess that's one side of it and I guess the the other side is when it is restarted it, it's you know um, like Lee was saying there about the Bundesliga it's restarted in such a surreal way where stuff like you know celebration scoring goals yes it's a contact sport but the, the whole way that I guess the players will play the game will be different so I can understand why a lot why a lot of fans are unhappy about that but I, I, for me, I think the point a lot of people miss is, yes, football's a business. The Premier League will be able to survive this, but there's a trickle effect. If the Premier League don't sort of almost set the standard of getting football back on, it's going to have a knock-on effect on all the other leagues and grassroots football. And I think that's how far down it goes, really. So it's, I think it's a lot bigger than just finishing the season. And um, it's a lot bigger than the, than the championship. And it's a lot bigger than relegation as well. I think I think as well. I think that you know people, you know, accepting lightly so the, the things that are happening in the world at this moment in time are a lot more important than competitive sport and football and getting that kind of thing back. Um, and obviously, you see the arguments from from certain government officials uh, about lifting the nation's spirits and things like that. And you know that should not be a reason to do so to bring to bring football back. And we all know it's about fi- it's about finances. I think Taro Ming said um today I read something in regards to the players are daft. They know, you know, that they they're being asked basically to, to come back and play football. Um mainly because of financial implications on on all clubs and that that's that's how it is. And but he went on to say, you know, I'm going into probably the safest office in, in the country. Um obviously the, there's there's mass testing. Um, if there's any anyone gets struck down, obviously with the coronavirus, it gets they have to go and isolate for seven days, etc. Um, so you know there there is it's it's a safe environment, and I think Mason Holgate said you know as soon as he lifted that ban on contact, he said that we, you know make no mistake, we were right in there, we we didn't hold back, we were back to doing what we what we normally do. You know there's a lot of questions to be asked, and there's you know I understand the you know the concerns that go that have. Uh, being wished by many, many people, of course, and you know, let's let's not forget what is happening in the in in the world. And like, but like Pete says, though, obviously the Premier League is a business. It's an absolutely huge business in this in this country and globally. Um, and the players, like like you said, Andy, and you know, Lee, it's so important that the players are safe and feel safe, and and that's that's the key the key thing. Um, the the, the big the big bugbears I think with a lot of people are. The neutral venues thing is one, um, and obviously us as Everton, we're we're being caught up in this because of the the Merseyside derby. Looks like it's going to be switched to Wembley Stadium, is what the what they're talking about. Um, 
because there's massive concerns about congregations of fans outside grounds of games that could back, obviously Liverpool are playing in and they could win the league in. Um, that's that's the first thing that are annoying people. So I mean, let's 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 go down that road first um, because. I think there's a handful of was it five or six games you've mentioned which are looking to go to neutral venues and what what are your thoughts on it? The, the whole Liverpool situation and winning the league and the congregation of fans outside ground. I actually get it to be honest with you. And this is this is not me sitting here going a slice on, on Liverpool fans, etc. etc. Any club who's in that position and the two games away from winning the Premier League or two wins away, whatever it might be, I think. There's always going to be a group of the, of fans from whatever club who will take it upon themselves to go outside their ground, the local ground, etc., and celebrate it in the current situation, regardless of who they support. What, what's everyone's thoughts on that? Uh, what I would say is that it take, the main thing is whether you believe they'll do it or not, it takes away any temptation. You know, if it is in Manchester or London, people are then have got to travel all that way. Well, in Liverpool fans' cases, a short distance of it's in London. They've got to travel all that way to get there. I, I think it's just it's just being it's just being careful now. Liverpool fans obviously have got, usually do congregate to welcome the coach. You sing that stupid song, we're going to win the league when they didn't that time. You know all all that type of stuff in the past they've done, and I think it it's not if it was us, I think they'd do the exact same for us because if it was our first title since the eighties, because imagine how many people would want to go out and celebrate it, It'd be tons. So. I get it, and and I sort of agree in the sense, just to take away the temptation that they should do it. It's not against Liverpool fans or a set of fans. It's just, it's just smart. You've got to be safety conscious in this situation. And let's be honest, even playing at you know at Anfield without fans, it's like a neutral venue anyway. So it's not going to make that much difference. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with you there, mate. <clears throat> at first, when it first came out that they may look at doing it, I was a bit anti it to be honest. I was kind of thinking. You know, what about the home advantage and even without the fans and that? And you're thinking, well, that's irrelevant really now. I mean, you know, we need to try and minimize the risk completely um, in terms of, you know, getting, you're going to get large people together no matter, no matter what. People are going to get a load of beers and they're going to get together in big groups. But if you can try and minimize that effect, then I tend to agree, tend to host it in a, in a, in a neutral venue. Um, I'd say the city stadium would probably be, be better for me. Um, but Wembley, I mean, you just got to hope that first and foremost, that City just beat Arsenal. The Premier League are dying for Liverpool to win the league, aren't they? Hundred percent, and and that's 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 it, isn't it? You know, we 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 sort of can't forget that we said this for a while now. There's definitely an agenda floating now when it comes to the Premier League and Liverpool winning the league. They're dying for them to, to do it. You know, Sky Sports, even even during lockdown, I didn't watch Sky Sports for quite a while because obviously there was no live sport on and um, that was obviously the, the big thing and the big attraction of, of obviously having your Sky Sports subscription, etc. However, they are, even when you see a bit of Sky Sports, you saw that, that football show that they put on with every sort of ex-Liverpool player that's ever existed gets a little, a little stint on the show and the, the agenda is still there. I think it's the whole the whole neutral venue thing for for the Merseyside derby, um, I think from my side, I, I, and I I understand the reasoning behind it. I really like Andy said, you you sort of trying to remove the temptation to to go down there in the in the current situation that we're in. I think it's it's hard enough being behind closed doors with no fans, and so you're giving up your home advantage anyway in a sense. But then you also you're losing that familiar. Uh, 
you know, familiar surroundings of Goodison Park. So we, we haven't even got that to cling on to for our home derby. And that's that's what, what's rubbing people up, I think, the wrong way. And, and I get that because you, you want, you know, Liverpool are difficult to play at the best of times. And you want to sort of have something that you can use to your advantage and play at Goodison Park, even without fans, may may help us in that sense. But like like Germany's showing at the moment, you know, there's so many away wins. It's, it's absolutely incredible. And it's, it's like just playing on, on, a, on a neutral field anyway, isn't it? And I'm sure we'll come back to the derby, won't we, in a, a future podcast. But that Wembley pitch is huge, you yeah. Know, especially compared to Goodison Park. First game back, not everyone's going to be at full match fitness. Never mind all the other stuff about you know losing momentum, etc. But it is a question that, that that I've got: Would they give us the home dresser, given that it's meant to be our home home game, home advantage? Would they give it give us the home dresser at Wembley? You'd assume so, wouldn't you? I think. I th- I think that it, you know you're right to point out about the fitness. You've looked at Germany. Jaden Sancho hasn't been able to play for the Dortmunds yet because he well, properly because he's not fit. Now, whichever team comes back the fittest from this in the Premier League is going to have an advantage because if you look at I think the, the lesson that's been learned from Germany is the fittier team look at Bayern like like a machine. They're winning a lot of games and they've now stretched the, they've basically won the title already because they're the fittest team and they've come back ready. And it also shows the professionalism of some players. You know we've obviously seen Dominic Calvert Lewin. You know, looks like an Adonis doesn't he at the moment. He's, he's always working out. But there'll be players who don't. And I think, you know, Liverpool obviously will always be ready. You know, you know they, they, wherever their regime is for, <laughs> for working out. But that, you know, we that Wembley pitch is going to make a big difference. And, and for a team like Liverpool that loves space, that is an advantage. Much whereas Goodison in, the, in those comfy confines is a bit different for teams. So yeah, it does take away the the, the comforts of the home ground. I think definitely. Definitely being confirmed, it is being played away from Goodison. Is that only if City lose? I think it'll be only if City. But then, uh, how do you book it? How do you, how do you, you know, plan it? It's, it's a lot of logistics to change overnight. But then, uh, you'd be right to. Hopefully, City don't lose because that'd be a nightmare. But I just wouldn't like them to win it at our place. I think that the neutral venue is great for us. So I think that that'd be perfect, really. In all, in all fairness, though, if it's anything like that Salzburg one where it's social distancing, lifting the trophy, that'll be hilarious. Yeah, but. The stadium with no people—it's the league that never was. Yeah, but they could go and stand, you know, in the Gladys with the cup and things like that, and get pictures taken. There's all sorts of things they can do, and I just want to take away all that, and that would be the biggest concern. I think the, the the main reason the Premier League come back. I know people obviously, you know, the Sky would like to see Liverpool lift the trophy. Don't be wrong; it's only going to be good for their business, but. It's all it's mostly financial. Whether people are like it or not, football clubs can't afford to play their players' wages. For months on end without saying the only revenue that'll come in, you know, apart from maybe you know the broken merchandise, which is not great, is the broadcasting revenue. And if that goes away, the clubs are just going to run at a loss. And by the time next season starts, teams like Burnley won't be around anymore. And it's even worse going down the leagues if if Accrington Stanley are taking off Fairlow, for example, their players, and there's no no money coming in, those clubs will all go. So it's very imperative that leagues play if, if it's if it's you know if they can afford to. And it's also imperative that the Premier League come back to for the long term, and also it, it should hopefully enforce change. I think football needs to change a lot. I think too much has has been relied on the broadcasting money. I think the financial model is terrible in the Premier League, and we're really seeing how bad it is now. A team's panicking. Well, that that's it. I mean, no one knows how, which way it's going to go, but you know there is a, there's a potential danger that in five ten years, a lot of football fans could be looking back saying, well, because we weren't in Leeds's position we missed out on the Premier League and look at where Leeds are now because they got that cash injection. They got in at the right time. It could create another ceiling, couldn't it? Like we had for a long time in the Premier League with that sort of top four being completely impenetrable. 
Totally agree, mate. I mean, we, we talked privately, actually, between us recently. Uh, um, Wenger put that statement out, didn't he, about FFP, um, which I thought was really pertinent, actually, about essentially teams pre-FFP have been able to load up and obviously, you know, buy the best players, pay the highest wages. Since FFP has come in, then is that reducing competition in football, not just in the Premier League, by the way, but obviously across Europe in the main divisions? Because what we're seeing is the same teams winning the league pretty much of every single year, really. And the same teams qualifying for the Champions League every single year, the ones that are paying the highest wages and paying, um, obviously, the biggest transfer fees. His, his statement was, competition is good for the game. We need more teams who can get investment and therefore compete um, with, with in our league, obviously, what you'd say is the top six. Um, and I, I, I must admit, I tend to agree with that. You know, I think it's important. Competition in any sport is good for the sport. Um, and, you know, as obviously, from a biased point of view, as Everton fans, we've almost been a little bit hamstrung by not being able to inject the load of money in because we haven't got the same revenues. I mean, you know, we're going to touch on in a second about the Hummel deal. That's nine million quid a year, our biggest record sponsorship. Liverpool did a deal with Warrior in 2012 and that's when they were garbage and that was 25 million quid a year and now the one with Nike is at 80 million quid a year isn't it I mean it's, it's, it's absolutely nuts the Warrior deal wouldn't stand up to fair competition now because it was owned by F- FSG and you know that's and that's the difference you're right in the times there I was, I was reading a book today called the European Game which is really good if anyone wants to read it by Daniel Fields and basically Paris Saint-Germain's club director, club secretary, said what used to take 20 years to become a super club now takes five because of the money of the QSI. But they got in in 2011. I think FFP came in, what, 13, 14, I think it started. And I think where we are now is we are stuck in that situation where there is a ceiling on what you can invest and you can't make up that gap. And, there's, and the, the top clubs you know, hoover up all those great sponsorships and we're left scrapping around. You know, almost, almost good for us because we will be their top club. However, on, you know, with, it's not Nike paying us 30 million a year. It's not a big, you know, a big company like Standard, Standard Charts who pay Liverpool a lot of money either. We're still lagging behind in that sense. Until we break that top six ceiling and are in Europe regularly, we won't be able to spend those monies. And I think... Unfortunately, what's hamstrung us, and we'll get onto this with transfers later, is those mis not the mismanagement by machinery, but the the issues when we fit when we first came into football, we were a little bit wild with our spending, and it's come back to bite us now. Yeah, a little bit giddy, weren't they? When they when they got. I think that's important. Just, just just on a side note, I just wanted to mention about um, talking about lockdown and coming back. Um, some of the comments by certain players, like, one that comes to mind is like Troy Deeney, for example, who's come out and said, you know, I've got children with, you know, breathing issues um, or respiratory issues. I'm not happy actually coming back full stop and I'm the captain of our club because that could potentially endanger my kids. That's a very, very fair point. Um, What's your thoughts on that? I mean, you know, because obviously he won't be the only one in that situation either. You know, there'll be lots of other players who'll have family who are obviously, you know, medically vulnerable. I think players should have the choice, really, shouldn't they? I think it's it's the same as when you know. I know it's a bit much bigger choice, but like you know, Daniel Sturridge is a prime example. He used to never play unless he was one hundred and ten percent fit, and he would say eighty five percent fit. I'm not playing. I think players should still have that choice. I think if you like Troy Deeney said, if he doesn't want to play because of family reasons, he shouldn't have to play. I know Watford will be penalised by that, but that's their player's choice, and he should be allowed that choice. I think. I think. It, no. 
So I think it's, it's, it's the, the sort of Sean example and the whole thing, really, because he's, he's being massively outspoken, hasn't he? And and listen, right, rightly so, like you say there, Andy, it's so important the players, we've said this from the start, feel safe first of all, and that they are safe in, in doing in doing the job and, and playing football. And like you said, his, his child's got respiratory issues. There's also been research done that they feel that uh, people from uh, being backgrounds uh, are more predisposed to or will suffer a lot more, a lot worse than those from from a white background, which has got to be considered as well. You know, you've got to look, you've got to look into that. And like you say, they, they should be given the choice. And, and I'm sure clubs will support the players in whatever decision that they that they want to make. But then that's where then the whole integrity of the competition then comes in, doesn't it? And I, I said this the other week. I'm sick of tired of hearing that that particular expression. You know, the, the integrity of the Premier League went out many, many years ago. Let's let's make no mistake. But in this circumstance, it is, you know, the, can you really justify, say, for example, Watford went down because their captain and maybe a couple more said he didn't want to play. How does that sit? But, you know, they, like we've said already, we, we, we feel, you know, that for many people, that football coming back is deemed as a positive thing and there's many reasons behind that. Yes, mate. Totally agree. Also on on the point, I wanted to raise. Uh, Lineker tweeted it the other day, actually, um, which was some of the stats in football now with no fans. Like you said, you mentioned before, Mike, about the Bundesliga. A lot of people, you know, a lot of teams that are winning away from home more shows the influence of obviously home fan base. Um, but also that the balls in play. If you look at the stats, the amount of time the balls in play is a lot more as well. Less free kicks. Obviously, you know, referees are not being influenced as much, obviously, by, you know, 40,000 screaming Evertonians. And that, you know, that, let's be honest, that's one of our advantages of playing at Goodison. The amount of players, the amount of officials that come out and say that it's one of the worst places to play because of obviously how vocal, how passionate the Everton fans are, which is a big strength of ours. That's going to be whipped away, isn't it? Um, so, I mean, look, we're going to go for a big push for Europe now, hopefully, uh, in the last third of the season. But... I think it's going to be quite difficult. Like I, I tend to agree with Andy. I think the teams that are going to come back that are the fittest, and also let's have it right, the teams are going to have the most quality. They're probably going to win more more games than they would have ordinarily done with the fans there. The talent gap's going to be most evident. I think your teams like your Man City and Liverpool, who are probably the two you know far away the best two teams in the league. I know Man City are not as good as they were last year, but still on the day they're the best team. I think they'll they'll hear teams. I think I think they're going to beat them by large large margins, and I think it's. I think for you know, for your, your top teams and your mid-table teams, I think they'll be it's the lower down really. I think you know those home games on the relegation running would have been the big ones for you know your Watfords, your your, your, your Norwiches, and I know Norwich and not out yet they're currently bottom, but I think it I think that's why they were you know I didn't like the idea of them trying to get out of relegation. I think that was it had, you have to keep the integrity of the competition no matter what. And I, I understand why people don't like the idea of this, but what people have to understand is it's not just these nine games. It's next season as well, so it's either you don't play the nine games, but you can't play next season on that because it's going to be the same. You're still going to have no fans probably until maybe what January, February, if there's if there's a vaccine. Your know, fingers crossed there is for everyone, but it's going to be a, lot, a long time before we get back into stadiums. And I think that, or maybe it's not. Maybe it'll be half the stadium you full. We'll have you know two, three seats in between us all, and you know they'll do it on a lottery basis or a rotation basis. I don't know, but I think we're going to just have to get used to this new normal. Of no fans for a short period, and it's not going to be forever. You know, we've still got in our lives, hopefully, 40, 50 years of watching football. So, you know, it's 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 just a short term thing. I think fans just have to have to accept it for now. And that that that's 
Sorry, that, that that's really important, you know, because unfortunately we are in this situation and it, it's taken, you know, the, the, well, I say it's taken us by surprise. It shouldn't have done really, should it? But we won't go into the political backdrop of this. But, you know, the, this is an unprecedented time. And unfortunately for us now going forward, whether it's football, cricket, golf, whatever it might be, we're going to have to get used to in the short term now, for, you know, so many months into the start of next year. It's going to be behind closed doors. It could be reduced capacities. You say it could be two or three seats between fans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, and that's how it's going to be. So all this, the, the negativity surrounding it, as I say, I, I do understand it, but we're going to have to get used to it. And you know, well, I've, I've seen people say, Everton fans as well, that they won't watch it. Um, you know, football without fans is nothing. And, and I totally understand that sentiment. Of course, you know, football plays a massive part in in all our lives and people live for Saturdays and Sundays and the, the whole match day routine and in some situations traveling, you know, away from home and, and so on. And I think what, what, what I would say with that is, because I, I saw a comment the other day, which, which, which riled me a bit. And I mentioned to the lads the other day on, on, on our, our group chat about it. Someone said that those who, um, those who won't watch it basically on principle, they're the real fans. They're your real football fans. They get it. You know, we go home and away. And I'm on in for all that. You know, at the end, at the end of the day, it's personal choice. If people don't want to watch it, listen, then then they're a better person than me because I watch the football. I support my team. I watch Everton every single time that they play. You know, people can't afford to go home and away. Doesn't make them, you know, lesser fans than those that do. You know, it just means that they, they're more principled maybe than than me. Uh, and and us, but I know I know we've we discussed before that, that we will we will watch watch the games and obviously see how how the how, and how the, the Blues pan out. I, I just like my part and big thing on this. Is I think you know those fans and we're all you know quite big politically and you know we're all you know we're, we all think similar things as people from Liverpool. I think that the, the issue is when you start projecting that you think your your beliefs on a football club. It's a very capitalist sport. It's just ne- you're going to be you're going to be sorely disappointed. Like I think a lot of Everton fans really expect that the club to say we're not playing. It, it's not happening. It's a capital. It's, it's just a capitalist sport. And you know I hate to say things like that, but it's just don't expect too much of your football club. It, it, it is generally about money. Obviously, we do love the club and, and you know they care about the fans in some way. But it's always going to be keeping the club afloat will be the most important thing. And at the end of the day, it is going to have to come back because Everton can't afford to pay wages upon wages for months on end without any income. You know, and I, I do feel, I do feel, I will watch it, and, I've, and I, you know, I, I was ready for football to come back at the right time. I understand why people don't watch. That's fine. Everyone's got their own principles, but I wouldn't cast aspersions on people who want to who want to watch football. And you know, I think people, you know, oh, people watching the Bundesliga, blah, blah, blah. you know, just, just if you don't want to watch it, don't watch it. If you do, good stuff for you. That's that's all I'll say. But that's absolutely it, isn't it? We. You know, we play the game within an overarching system, a model, and then the Bundesliga is a great example of that. I mean, buying a called FC, so-called FC Hollywood for the you know the amount of money they pay their players because they don't fit in, arguably, so much with the rest of the model of German football, which is you know cheap tickets, fill the stadium, you know wage cap systems uh, across the league, homegrown talent. You know, it's fantastic, but the Premier League isn't that, and Everton play football in the Premier League not in Germany. So if the league's restarting, Everton need to be a part of it. And, you know, fans can't have it both ways. If they want us to compete, we have to fit into that system. If they want us to be, you know, plucky little Everton with, with the right values, 
we're going to be at the bottom of the Premier League or the Championship. So, you know. So, and that's that 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 is a is a really good statement. I think to sort of end this little segment on because it's so true, Peter. We we want to compete at the top table, and we've been known as plucky at eleven for years. And obviously, the situation we're in is very very strange. But you. You know, we're in the Premier League. It's it's the the biggest league in the world, the most televised league in the world, etc., etc. Et and and unfortunately, you know, we're in the position where we we've got to get back and we and we've, we've got to play football, rightly or wrongly. That's a position that the, the club and all Premier League clubs are in. Um, moving forward, then we have mentioned it briefly there. You know, since we spoke, we had the the announcements, which was much much touted a few months ago that we've uh, Hummel have come on board to, to make our shares and it's it's certainly some it's, it's something which has captured I think the fans' imagination when it you know when it comes to excitement over uh, a kit manufacturer you've seen what Hummel have done with other teams Hummel have come out and gone Everton are our number one number one team we're the ones in the you know the the premier team for them and it's it's great for us like Lee said we're looking at say both between eight and ten million apparently uh, per year, it is our biggest deal. Um, but as much as we're not at the levels of getting 20, 30, 40 million pounds a year for you know for getting our shares made by a particular company, it's a it's a small step and it's it's a it's a decent step forward when it comes to uh, commercial revenue. Yeah, mate, <clears throat> totally agree. It's, it's um, a little bit left field, isn't it, in terms of uh, Hummel coming on board? I know it's sort of a Umbro, I think, are moving more towards other sports, aren't they? Um, hence the reason why, you know, they're moving away from from Everton. It's always been synonymous with Everton, but I'm quite looking forward to it. We've seen quite a few kit designs come out. I know you've put a few together, mate. Uh, but yeah, people are moaning big style, haven't they, about it? Jesus <laughs> Christ, get a life. Get a life, you know what I mean? If I, if I want to sit there in my box room and... Um... Get a few designs together, you know what I mean, and that, then then I'll do it. You know what? I I enjoy doing. It's a bit of fun. Listen, it's all it, it's great. I, I love seeing them. I love seeing people having having designs and, and throwing different ideas about. And you know, yeah, some of mine aren't good. Someone said one of mine looked like um, the seatbelt material from a from a car the other day, which is listen, that's fine, no problem. At least you'd be safe with it on. Um, you didn't but, get level enough for nothing, did you, pal? Well, this is exactly right. You know, I didn't, I didn't uh, paint, I didn't paint, draw, use charcoals until the age of eighteen for no reason. Lee, you know, um, I'd like to put it to good use, but it's it's been good, it's been fun. You know, I mean, some as I say, some are better than others. Some are absolutely fantastic. How you go about it, and you, you put them on the players. Everton designs always stands out how good he is at doing what he does and what have you. Um, but you look, you look. I don't know what everyone else thought. So I hope the club consult some of the. The likes of Everton designs, things like that. You know, I mean, I know I've got to be, they've got to be careful with it. But um, if you look at the kits that Hummel have done in the past, like the old Real Madrid kit, you know, that was a quality kit. Um, Hummel have got really great retro kits. Like I've got, I've got the Danish Dynamite book. You know, people can't see it, but the Danish nineteen eighty six football team there. That, that's like a really memorable kit. You know, it, it, I think we, we what we didn't want is remember when we had the Nike shirts and was it 12, 13, 13, 14? And it was just basically a training kit with our badge on and our sponsor on them. I think what Everton fans want is they want to feel loved by the by the shirt maker and they want to feel it's individual. And I think that's what Hummel will do. Now, I know people don't want the chevrons, but I think they look quite good myself. I, you know, I like the chevrons. And I think it's going to be something really bespoke for Everton, which I think we'll all like. I think we've had some horror, some horror kits over the years. Remember that badge, the Play-Doh badge? Badge or whatever the Playmobil badge that we had the other year, 
you know, those type of things need to go away. And I think we need a, something that bespoke that speaks to Ed. And, and I'd love to study back a white collar. I mean, I, you know, I, I used to love the collared shirts in the 90s. Oh, that, that does come back. But I think it's a good deal. As I said a couple of months ago, I think Hummel was mooted in February time to me. And I think the reason Hummel is, it's already got a deal existing with the Fanatics, who obviously are our retail partner, if you will. And I think and it was and it worked in symbi in symbi with them really. So I think I think it'll be a really good deal for us. I think they'll they'll make good kits for us. And I think I'd rather be their number one than be Nike's number seventeen. And you know, Leicester basically have got and you know off the kit, you know, off the rack Nike kit, I think and doesn't look any better than you know with anyone else's kit. So I'd rather be number one. Here's a question for you. We've got a kit with a collar. Is there any player in the squad that would have the collar up? Tom Davis, 100%, would have the collar up. Make no You'd have half up, half down. Half up, half down. Yeah, yeah. With, with a Mac on. Yeah, no one has any, no one's a maverick anymore, are they? Like, like a Cantonari, just walk around with the collar up. You know, the, or, the, or the shirt on top. Well, maybe it's because football kits don't allow it anymore. Maybe this is what we need, a bit of a collar. Individualism, exactly, yeah. We, well, we miss well, all that. But one of our one of our best years in, in recent years was that uh, the the retro Goodison one, wasn't it? Um, which which Sandro looked great in, by the way. Um, <laughs> the one time that that he wore it, but that had, had a decent collar on, and you know I'm sure that one could have been could have been put up, but put a bit of start under the collar there and get that wedge nice nicely behind the uh, behind your your tapered neck. I used to like the Danka one with the white and blue lines. You know, I think it was '95. Yeah. I think, oh, fun. yeah, great, great kits. They used to have the Everton on the. One of them used to have Everton on the uh, the, the neck collar there as well. They used to have that as well. But yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm happy with Hummel. I think nine million is it's a step in the right direction. Don't be wrong. It's not, you know, it, you know, obviously, you know, Uncle Uncle Alicia could have bought you know a sports brand that's out of business, like you know, and, and you know, paid us a load of money. But it, it you know, it's, it's got to be fair competition, right? So I think Hummel's a good start. I think you know them. You know, hopefully making some interesting kits for us, something like that stands out. Oh, you know, the, the next the next stage really would be you know getting Justin Bieber wearing and type of then you know you can make it in a fashion statement to wear an Everton kit again, then that'd be great. It's just whatever works for Everton really. Yeah, a few get a few influencers uh, on board, but, no, but I do th- I, hope, I do hope they make even just a third kit like a retro kit or something like that. You know what I mean? That looks a bit sort of like eighties or nineties. And on that point, actually, obviously about the sponsorship. Uh, there's been loads of different rumours uh, and there were links between obviously Megafon and NEC. How great would it be to get NEC back on the kit? I think with the Hummel Retro kits and the NEC, I think that's a perfect combination. There's rumours as well that I know people on Twitter put Kazoo. I asked about that. I always said it, what, they're not on the run, but again, everyone says different things to different people, so I don't know. But they've got a gamble in arm. I know the fans again don't want anything to do with gambling, completely understand that. I understand that people have obviously, you know, it causes people to get into debt and have problems, got no issues with that. As long as we don't bring, you know, you know, get like a sponsor like Chang again and you have to drink that disgusting beer at half time, I'm, I'm fine with all that. Yeah, I think obviously there's been talk around NEC, wasn't it, um, going back a few months ago, similar time as, as Hummel, really. Um, and, you know, in terms of sort of the romantic touch, that, you know, wouldn't it be great to go back to NEC? Have a retro style kit made by by Hummel, and it'll all just bring it together nicely. All the designs that I've messed around with, all well, the majority have got NEC on, and it looks it looks great in in any colour. Dead, you know, really really clean. Um, but there, there is there is as I say there is talk like you mentioned that 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 kazoo things come from the X. He's mentioned kazoo, and he's also mentioned potentially um, another gambling company. But then after like a twelve month break. Um, I think obviously with the current financial landscape, things have changed, haven't they? That's that's the biggest thing. So 
I think when it when we do get the the new um, sponsor announced, don't be too surprised if it's not one that one's being mentioned and two that people aren't particularly happy with because things have moved quite a bit when it comes to you know uh, all areas of business around around the country and around the world. I was quite surprised when we went with sports uh, pacer really, you know, give, given the conversation we were just having about the club's values, it seemed like a very sort of uneventful thing to do to go with a gambling company. Yeah, it was interesting that Denise Sparrow-Baxendale said earlier this year that she was investigating the, the links between the betting company and Everton, Everton, you know, in the community. I don't know about that. I think that was well known at the time. But I th- yeah, it's a very difficult moral one, really. I, suppose, you know, I think we're all proud of the Everton community charity. It's great. But I think the club needs to slightly be separate to that. And you've got to understand that gambling companies sadly do pay the most money. Like, you know, a lot of the teams who come in fresh to the Premier League get those one-year deals, and as long as they're in the league, they'll get paid decent amounts of money from gambling companies. Once they go back down to the Championship, different di- different market altogether. So we might just take a deal for a year until the market comes back up. You know, you know it might behoove us to, be, for, to do that rather than take a lesser deal for longer term. You know, what, that doesn't reflect the situation in two years' time. It's it's very difficult when Everton are in a, a very difficult situation. I think this was they were hoping it would be a big commercial year for Everton, and obviously then this has struck. And it, it, I think a lot of things have gone against Everton, you know, with COVID nineteen as we're going to with, with the transfers as well. I think it's it's just a difficult, and it's not that it's it's an act of God. It's nothing that we can well we hope it's an act of God. It's nothing that we can really do about it, is there? I think that I mean you look at the companies who are coming out of this sort of okay, you know, like see your Netflix and. And things like that. They they're doing they're doing absolutely roaring trade at the moment. So I'll be knocking on their door, me to try and get a bit of a bit of a deal signed up with them. Uh, did anyone have, have any uh, shares in Zoom? Jesus, I never even heard of it before the COVID nineteen started. <laughs> yeah, Zoom and Microsoft Teams they're the ones, aren't they? And obviously Skype as well. The, the three of them are absolutely flying. But let's let let's move on. Then you mentioned there obviously the the change of landscape and and transfers and you know we we seem to have been linked with every sort of play at an Italian club um, due to obviously the, the Ancelotti um, name and links etc etc uh, but things are definitely going to have to change aren't they in terms of what we do we were always going to be I think quite tight anyway when it came to finances for this particular window even more so you, you, you sort of um, fringe players and your dead would have, have probably got even lesser value than they would have had you know your, your Morgan Snydlands your, your Balassies people like that so things are going to have to change, aren't they? And, and targets are going to have to move. And potentially, this is only from my side, we're going to be looking probably more at the at freeze and, and loans. Potentially. The situation pre, pre-COVID-19 was that Everton, coming off the back of a £100 million loss, we're, we're up against the Premier League regulations, you know, for, for the, the you know, cost and control regulations. And essentially, the club were hoping that it's Chen Tosin would do well at Palace, we'd sell for £20 million. Uh, we'd sell John Joe Kenny probably to to you know, Schalke for fifteen to eighteen million, and we'd sell a couple of the other you know you know the shipwreck pieces that we've got that make up you know the Deadwood that make up the shipwreck, in such Sigurds and Schneidlin. You know I think Walcott would have stayed, and, and I think that would have been the plan. Sadly, with COVID nineteen, that's all changed again. I think Chengtos and getting injured anyway probably changed changed that as well. John Joe Kenny. Will we get? Will he stay or will he go? I think that's that's an option Everton have got now. I think, as it was reported the day, Monaco are trying to cut their playing squad down, so they will take less than the thirteen million that Sadivi uh, was the option for Sadivi. So we've got an option there as well. Uh, it, it's going to be difficult. I think the free market's quite difficult. I think still, I think the club's not really engaging yet in that because 
I speak to championship clubs, and championship clubs are still getting told pre-COVID-19 contract prices by agents. So until the agents come round and start knocking the prices down, I think we'll, it'll be a while before the market sort of kicks off. But Everton, yeah, I think the best, the smart thing for Everton to do would be to, you know, if they can't get the targets within the financial framework, would be to take loans where we do have an option to buy. So if the player does do well, we've got that control over the situation and then play it from there. I, I, don't, I expect to see two or three loans and maybe one or two permanent transfers. Yeah, mate, I'd agree with that. I mean, if we were going to say in terms of what are our priorities, you've just mentioned there, right back, definitely. Um, centre back, obviously the Gabriel rumours won't go away. There's loads of rumours that he's had the medical already. He's also interacting quite a bit with Charleston and things like that. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see with that one. I think we still need another centre mid, especially now with Gabamin getting injured. Um, so, yeah. there are our priorities. I mean, Sadibi, he's a conundrum for me because he's had some great games for us and he's absolute absolute shockers. He never seems to be a 7 out of 10. He's either a 3 out of 10 or a 9 out of 10. Um, but if we can get a knockdown price for him, would you take him? I potentially would if you got him for like seven, 6, 7 million. My issue with it is why sign Sadibi if you're going to be selling him in 12 to 18 months anyway? Because he's clearly not the long-term Everton right-back. I understand the short-termism of it. I would. I'd rather just keep Kenny for a season if we're going to go. If we're going to go stand past it right back. If we can sell Kenny, great. Maybe that that's that, that's worth doing. I just think with Sadibi, as I said before he arrived, he's got these flaws that you're just not going to be able to change. Twenty seven, twenty eight, and if you know, I think Col- Coleman's fine as a backup. I've got no issues with him. You know, obviously, you know, lead. He's well, lead. I know people don't love him as a captain, but you know, he's, he knows what Everton's about when players come into the club. You can tell us, you know, tell them about you know, you know, what Everton fans expect, I guess, but. I think the starting right back, I think Everton need better than Sadibi and better than John Joe Kenny. Whether we can get that in this market, I, I don't know. It's, it, that, that's, that's the position with the most swing, I think. I think we may say, let's keep Kenny, let's keep Sadibi and go as, as, and then next summer we'll look at right back. I, I don't know if you've read the Athletic article, but my company did. We, they were the four positions that we were looking at as right wing as well. Um, I think the, the main positions are centre midfield. It's, it's a real real issue real issue forever and I think that it's twofold in the fact that there's no there's no one in there well, without Andre Gomez being available there's no one in there really say, you know, pass, you know, connect the defence and the attack so we've had to go direct more and I think there's also a real issue with structure you saw the Chelsea game where as soon as the ball went through the midfield they were on the centre-backs and it, it leads to Jordan Pickford having to do a lot more probably than he, than he probably should have to do really and you know I'm not the Pickford's biggest fan but he's facing a lot of good chances because the centre backs are getting no protection really, and I think, I think that's the big area, the sensitive field. I think centre back, you know, again we've got options there. You could just say Michael Keane stay. I think we could sell him or we could keep him. He's got two years left on his deal. I think if we went into the next season with Mina and Hallgate, so you know maybe we want one more. But I think we'd be generally happy with them if they had a bit more protection in front of them. So maybe centre mid and right wing will be the priorities in terms of trying to upgrade them, and then. If we do have the finances, maybe look to get loans in the other positions. Maybe I'm, there's all sorts of options on the table for Everton, really. There's, a, there's a, obviously Lee mentioned here Gabriel, and he he was the one who was was touted for for quite a long while, and then the last sort of week, ten days, um, he sort of pissed away a little bit with other sides. Apparently, in from Napoli being the one apparently have agreed a deal, and it was there was all this talk of, well, if if um, Napoli are getting are getting Gabriel. Schalke have said, well, we can have, have Kenny for another 12 months. We'll then let you have uh, the Tobedo. 
Um, the lad from Barca was on loan at Schalke. He had an absolute shocker yesterday, um, by, by all accounts. Um, but you know, he was, he was, and that's you know, that's that's a, a familiar, a familiar thing, isn't it? When they when they get a name of some willing to, and they watch them, and you know, we they judge them on one game. But I think we can we can all you know probably agree that centre half is a bit of an issue. But the problem we have is. Those players that we thought we could get, like I said before, we could get some kind of money for, will their value will be diminished. The players say at the at the say the top end of the value, and just say for example, Jordan Pickford for argument's sake, if say Pickford was gonna go pre-audition, you might have got say, I don't know, say 40 million, 45, I think is number one. Whereas now you're talking a lot, lot less, so therefore it wouldn't be worth selling Jordan Pickford. So there's so many things to take to take into into account there. But I think like you said, then I think after the the Gabamon, you know, the, the lads having absolutely no luck whatsoever. He comes out five days ago and meets someone in Tesco and says, "Yeah, I'm ready to play." You know, gets a, a socially distance picture with with them down down one of the aisles, and you know, everyone's like that. Looking forward to seeing him. It'd be great for him. You know, he's had this time off now. He can rejoin the squad full training in three weeks. So now the Achilles is gone, and we're talking probably another another six months, and and that leaves us massively, massively short in that area, doesn't it? It's, yeah, it's, 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 go on, sorry, mate. Yeah, I feel so sorry for the lad. I really, really do. You know, there's nothing worse. He's he's in the prime of his career now, and that Achilles injury. Look, potentially that could be not just the end of his Everton career. It could be the end of his own career. It's a horrible injury. Not many players come back the same player from that. Never mind the the shocking injury he had before that. And if you look at his history, you know, he, he was averaging thirty plus games a season without really any sort of tweak before that. So. You know, if, if Everton was summed up in a player, then it would be uh, Jean-Philippe Gabamin. And, you know, the, he probably would have had a, a good run in the side, I reckon, as well, because obviously Carlo would want us to have a look at him. And by all accounts, the rumours from the training staff is that he was looking pretty pretty decent in training as well. It's, it's just such a shame for the lad, isn't it? I think he was playing head tennis, wasn't he, with Andre Gomez, who would have been his you know, partner in midfield, I think, if it all went well, I think. I feel so unfortunate, and unfortunately, because I think Everton fans have just lack any patience now because of what, you know, what's happened over the last 25 years since we won the FA Cup. Unfortunately, some are very unhappy about the Gabon sign, but there was nothing to point to this. He had an injury when he came to us, but the, the, the belief was that he could be rehabbed out of it. Obviously, then, unfortunately, he played when he shouldn't have. He got the injury, and then he was due to come back. Now he's with the Achilles. I think... Hopefully he can come back. You know, it, it's a fifty-fifty proposition now, though. Unfortunately for that, but it, it's no one's fault at the club. You know, I think we, you know, we did everything we could do to make a decision before we signed him. I think that midfield area, though, with with Gabami, it leaves obviously, you know, Andre Gomez is your prospective starter. I guess you know, number one player. You need a defensive midfielder to go to him because he's not great defensively. You probably need a box-to-box midfielder as well, just so we can have different looks and different games. So you probably need two centre midfielders now. Unless you think, unless they really think that Gabamon, you know, can come back quickly from it, maybe around December time. Who have you got, Andy? Is uh, realistic targets? Do you think we were talking in the last podcast about how to get the best out of Andre Gomez and who really needs to be alongside him? It, 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 we we uh, we had a look at this obviously that you know, Paddy Boyle and that's just to do a piece for the Athletic, and we had a look at this. And in terms of you know, my belief is that if you play next to Gomez, you need to add structure to the midfield. You know, I think. 
you look at someone like Bati Santa Maria plays for Angers in France, and people say he's the new Kante, but he's a completely different player. That, that was a bizarre comparison. But he's someone who plays defence in the field. He would add structure. He's more of an, a mobile, more more progressive passing style than really. So he gets across the pitch much better, plays a bit more agency as well. And someone who can obviously create things as well. And I think him next to Gomez would be would be good. We've been linked with Bubakari Samari before, who plays for Lille, who probably you can do both the, the defensive midfield and the box to box role. And we, I think we've been linked recently with Wendell. I think Wendell and Gomez would be a bit of an issue defensively. He's obviously plays for Sport in Lisbon. Uh, Sangari, the, you know, he has to speak to one person at the club. The club think he's a good player. Speak to someone else at the club. They think he's a bit t- technically lacking in certain areas and there'd be a bit of a risk to sign him. So it, it's very hard to gauge with Everton sometimes. Like Gabarman would have been what on my list last year, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe. I think there was best players, but... The club obviously is going for at 24, 25. He was more in his prime than, say, other players who were 20, 21, 22. So they've obviously got a profile that they've built and they want someone who's be able to step in and not have too much development, really. And I think I think that's what we're looking for, probably players between 23 and 26 and cents in the field who are going to be able to step in and, and you know be able to contribute day one, really. It's very difficult with Everton because they keep everything so close to the chest. What's no, what one? Rabiot, Andy. Adrian Rabio, <laughs> um, he's a really, really good footballer. Let's be honest; there's, there's no doubt about it. His best position is probably as a six in a three. Uh, he doesn't think that. He thinks he's an eight who's going to attack and play who's box to box. This is the problem with him. He should be a you know a Verratti or a or even a Pirlo type player with a bit more bite, maybe and a bit more athleticism. But he just doesn't want to play there. He obviously, takes a lot of advice from his mum. Who's not led him down the great path, and I think signing for Juventus you know, probably was worth it financially, but probably considering the midfield options wasn't great. And I think it, he'd be great, but I think he would play the Gomez role. I don't think he can play with Gomez. I think that's a bit of a an issue again. It's fit again. This comes back to the formation. I know a lot of people love the four four two. It obviously it speaks to a lot of our history. For me, it has a lot of structural problems unless you've got the right players, which is probably why I've been linked with Alan, who did it so well for Carlo at Napoli. It's, it's, you've got to find the right player who can play in that midfield and have that structure where it does protect the back four. Otherwise, like the Chelsea game, you can have a lot of games where we're getting broken upon a lot. Now, let, let me ask you, Andy. Now, I, I did see you, your response of the day, but others may not have done. And you might know where I'm going with this sentiment. Okay? A, a romantic option popped up. <laughs> He's smirking, by the way. A romantic option popped up. Potentially, you know, maybe on loan. Uh, and it's just a guy a gay who's apparently getting transfer listed by PSG. What do you, what do you, if, if it came up as a loan and say it's a take 50, 60 grand a week, would you take him for 12 months? I think I've lost you, we've we lost you sound there, Andy. Sorry. Yeah, now. we're back. We're back. Sorry, right. The, the issue I have, and, and this is because maybe I, I think about football in a slightly different way, is I think beyond next season, I think Gay will be great next season. No doubt about it, he will fix the midfield issues for the season. But what happens after that season? Are Everton really going to pay £20, £30 million pounds for a 32-year-old? I don't think so. Can we replace Gay again? Again, we'll be in the same situation as we were last summer, maybe this summer. I think it's just too short term. I think Everton needs to plan you know, going forward. I think, don't be wrong, there's obviously a very urgent need to make use of Carlo and Chalotti. I think his arrival has raised expectations within the fans. But I think Marcel Brands is looking at the other side of it, thinking, I don't want to be in this situation again where we're really struggling under FFP and other regulations because we've got no players to sell. 
because we're signing all the players like Delphi Sigurdsson, like Schneider, and like the Walcott. So it's a balance in that career. As a fan, yeah, of course, you'd love Adrissa Garnagay back in the blue. He would probably solve a lot of the issues that we've got now. Him and Andre Gomez were quite good together at a time. And I think probably with without Marco Silva's suicidal press and Garner would probably be even better and would have to do less. Probably have to do less in Cabral if they have more of an effect on the game. But I, I just think it, I just think it smacks of short term, and I don't think Everton need to think short term at the moment. I think next season, I think we need to aim for top six, whether we'll make it or not. It's probably maybe another building season. Fans won't like to hear that, but it's another stepping stones. And then the next season following that is then when we try and push on. I think thinking short term is is plugging too, is trying to you know, plug too many holes in the ship. And I think we need to actually, you know, you know, a consistency. If you look at the best teams in the league over the last five or six years, they've had a consistency and they don't chop and change everything each year. I think we need to have that consistency going forward on the basis of a squad. So, no. <laughs> no. It's an interesting one because you just mentioned yourself on another point there. We may have to look at sort of other other ways in, in terms of, you know, the financial turmoil we're going to enter into in the next... So maybe maybe it will be a case of maybe trying to take Garner on loan uh, for, for 12 months to fill that gap. I mean, we mentioned it briefly. Carlos, probably greatest ever side, the Milan team he had. Um, he had someone like Gattuso, didn't he? You had the, he was the legs in midfield. And then Pirlo was your sort of, you know, your sort of majestic football, if you like. Would you would you say, could you get Garner and Roll and Gomez doing almost like the PLO type role in a four four two or not? Yeah, so in 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 that version of the four four three, it was more of a four three one two with either uh, Kakar or uh, Seidorf playing essentially what Bernard does now as the left winger who goes forward into a ten. Um, I think you would need to basically you need two water carriers as they call Garner would be the perfect example of that. Uh, Juventus when they had um, Pogba at his best, uh, they had Marchisio and Matuidi. Obviously, Pilo had Ambrosini and, and Gattuso with his two. And yes, that does work. And I think you probably get the best out of Bernardo or we'll be putting them more further up the pitch behind the two strikers. I think it's rather than them being orthodox wingers. But it's whether we've got the players. I think Fabian Delph probably maybe could be one of those roles, but whether he's fit enough consistently. And I don't think Everton fans could stomach him for all season, unfortunately. I like him personally. I think I don't think he should be relied on for 10-plus games, but if he's just in the background, I'm not you know, too fussed. But... Yeah, you could. But unfortunately, what's happened is I think a lot of the, the, the news, the noise coming out of Everton, and we're all making all assumptions as well as that we're going to play four four two. For all we know, Carlo has played four three three in the past. We could be playing four three three next season, and they could be recruiting for four three three. Now we're obviously assuming that they'll stay with the four four two. I think the four four two presents a lot of problems for us. But there are other ways, as you say, the diamond maybe where you do have a a PLO type and Andre Gomez basically. Peel was a little bit better than Gomez defensively, but yes, and then you have two hard work in midfielders either side. And yeah, that would work, yeah. Hey, I know it's not a long-term solution, but for me, the best player we've seen in that defensive midfield this season is Mason Holgate, hands down. I um, I think he was good there, yes. It was a, such a small sample size, though. It's very hard to <laughs> know. But yeah, there's, there's that... If he was, if he could do that in big games, then that would work, yeah. Because he's just there to basically stop the centre backs and protect them, really. And and I think that's been the main issue. I think a lot of you know when Michael Keane's played, and, and obviously when him and Sadibi play, you just put balls in the channel down that side against it, as no one can see him pointing in the distance, pointing in the direction here. <laughs> but you know that that's that that's been a key. And I think the main area, and I think if you were going to invest in you know main in a position as centre midfield, I think apart from there and right wing, we can get away with. 
pretty much everywhere. I think right back we could have Kenny and Coleman, we could have Stevie and Coleman, or a you know, centre back we could stick with Keane as your third centre back. I think we can survive another season, but in centre midfield, if we're going to make this work, we need two players, and I think that that's the real key area. Where and you know we could move a Charles into the right wing and sign a centre forward. That is also an option. I know people don't like that idea, but he's still going to score ten plus goals there. It's it's a necessary evil. It's just how we how we be creative. I think the plan was is obviously to sell players and then maybe say to Leal, you know, we'll give you 10, 15 million up front for Gabriel and then the rest over two, three years or two years. Now you're probably thinking more of a Nicolas Pepe deal over five years more so because the way the financial situation is going at the moment. It's, it's very difficult at the moment. And that's why the Gabriel deal is 50-50 at the moment. It's because... Leal will need cash because they've just had the TV money taken away from them. So they probably changed the terms of the deal, probably, and that they want more cash up front. Yeah, it's it definitely it's definitely going to be a, a difference and interesting transfer window as and when it opens, as obviously as and when the season is is finished off. But you know, it's it's going to be something which I think, like you say, we need to have, have patience once again, and let's let's just trust those in charge to do to do the right thing is is the key. Um, but Andy, another really enjoy the chat once again. Um, you know, it's always good to talk about obviously recruitment, etc. And in what is a, a real, real strange time, even even now. Uh, so thanks, thanks for coming on again, mate. Thanks for having me again. Quickly before we go, I wanted to ask you a question. Anyway, and you, you mentioned about right wingers. Is there any that you know we've been linked with that has got a bit of legs, or linked with that you think would fit the bill for us? Just quickly. Yeah. That's that's the only position that I think's been the real quietest in terms of. I think Unders obviously one we've looked at from Roma. I think he's a good player. Um, the rest, I'm not. To be honest, we haven't really been Kalajan. We were linked with today. I don't think that's that that's got any legs. I think Lozano. He's not really comfortable. He's not really a right hand side. Plays best off the left. The, the issue is, I think, it is you could sign wingers all day, but the issue is the four four two is a fairly specific role. And when we looked at it for the Athletic, we had to consider people who could defend and cover the right-back as well. Defensively, you saw in the, the Arsenal game, the Saka, when Saka came on and Iwobi and Stevie couldn't tie their own shoelaces at times because they just didn't understand where they needed to be. And I think you, you've seen Alex Iwobi's play on the wing many times for Arsenal. But when required to defend one-on-one more consistently in a 4-4-2, he just didn't know where to be. And I think that's why Everton are working on, hard with him and Bernard on their off-ball duties but that's that's the real issue when recruiting for the right wing it's because it's such a specialized position and let's be honest 442 hasn't been in vogue since what 2002 2003 a lot of these players have never played 442 they've never played at the academy so it's quite a change it's it's quite a specialized position hopefully we can find the right person to do you know i like crep and diata who plays for club rouge very explosive player also plays right wing backs and understands his defensive you know defensive duties i think that'd be an idea but He's obviously not in Belgium. He's not in a top five league, so it's a it's a very. I think that's the position that it's the most intrigue. Yeah. And and maybe even more intriguing by the situation uh, that that we're in and, and the transfer landscape. But again, thank, thanks for coming on, Andy, and thanks everyone for listening. The, the next time we're going to be back in town and back on is probably going to be the weekend before the season is back, um, which is, is strange to say and. You know, let's let's hope that the players can remain safe, and you know, pe- people there can can take over and and go go do the job as safely as possible. And um, and we are going to be pre- previewing the the neutral venue derby by all accounts. So <laughs> that'll be sort of interesting, sort of look forward to. So 
Thanks for listening. I'm real, real catchy then. The Unholy Trinity Podcast. Three blues. Three opinions. One Everton Podcast. Sports Social Podcast Network.